Hi, and welcome to this episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Joe Ritty, and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the lands and airwaves of Nam where this conversation takes place. Land which was never ceded, land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to the Elders past and present and to any First Nations people listening today. Today I'm talking to Sebastian Pazanetti at Oko Rooftop and Cafe. Sebastian is no stranger to hospitality, being born into a hospo family and taking the plunge himself at 15. He's the co-founder of Oko Restaurant, Oko Rooftop and Cafe and Oko Catering and he's a proud queer person of colour. Sebastian's also the co-founder of Minds On Plus, a hospitality hub for diversity, well-being and hospitality and he's the head of partnerships at Kelly's Cause Foundation, a charity that trains mental health first aiders specifically in the hospitality industry across the UK and Australia. Sebastian's also an ambassador for men's health charity Movember and he works to help destigmatize conversations around men's health within the hospitality, queer and broader communities. Plus, he's the nicest person to sit down and talk with. I first came across Sebastian when I read about Oko Restaurant and their policy for inclusive hiring and the traffic light system they have for dealing with mental health amongst their staff. I asked him then if I could chat to him and he suggested I talk to his mum and head chef Kim Marie Moore, which I did, and it was wonderful. Since then, I've been to a couple of the panel discuss discussions he's facilitated to get people talking about mental health and hospitality. I was excited to sit down with Sebastian and I relished every moment of our chat. He's so articulate and he's got such a heart for the well-being of others and I appreciate how generous he was with how much he shared with me. This was a wonderful conversation and I'm so happy I get to share it with you. Thank you. Things are good. You've been busy, you've been busy. So you're selling... The restaurant. Yeah. Uh, which is the other venue, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I see. Yeah. So you're just going to keep going, because that's what I got confused, I think. Yeah, so we're going to keep going with this. Um, we've got another couple of months to share what happens. Yeah. It's really a tough time over there. I feel like... There are so many headlines these days of institutions which are closing down, yeah. and yet there's people opening places as it's, well. You know what? So interesting you say that, because... The reception we've had from Oko Restaurant and the people that are really eager to get into it, I'm like, it's really nice to see that new energy and excitement coming through. But I've been really transparent and being like, I would just cross all your T's and dot all your I's before you get into business because mm. there's so much stuff that comes up halfway through that you're not prepared for. And especially people that have never worked in hospitality before, I think it's a really big feat. Yeah. Especially when, yeah, you're right, the institutions are closing down and downsizing and... Yeah. But the big ones are getting... Like, my best friend, and I used to work with at Chin Chin, um, my best friend is the general manager there now, and they're about to open that French uh, batard, the Oh, yes. ...in the city, so those groups are, like, they're just machines and they'll keep going. Yeah, it's really interesting what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen in the next two to three, five years. Yeah. Hopefully the government steps in at some point. I think they're going to have to. Mm. It's so interesting because the nitty gritty of it, like when you chart, when food costs go up and the government implements new restaurant awards rates, which are great, and that's how much staff should have been paid. But um, 
it's so difficult to then counteract that on a menu price. So I just genuinely don't know how businesses are going to do it. Yeah. Unless they start pivoting and like doing all of these different kind of offerings, whether that's catering or cakes even, um, it's really difficult. Yeah, I wonder whether that is, it is the time when people start moving into, as you say, you know, cakes or specific things. Because I've noticed, I mean, these other businesses doing well, but the businesses that are doing really well, like Tarts Anon or yeah. Mietta or yeah. um, I'm sure there's savoury things as well. But there's, um, when people are very specific about what they're doing and, and there's almost that French artisanal leaning to perfecting one thing totally. or one line of things. I think it's the only way to be successful moving forward. But how does that work for restaurants? Oh, God. That's a million-dollar question, isn't it? Yeah. I think... I think that style of eating out with small plates, which is what Oco Restaurant initially was, when it's like, we're going to do a bunch of Spanish, Greek, Italian, that just doesn't work anymore. And it's, you're right, it has to be honed into one thing, whether that's, it's like places like 1-800-Lasagna, why it's doing so well, because it's figured out its craft. Yeah. I'm not, not to say that it's the best restaurant in Melbourne, but they have figured out marketing, they've figured out what they're offering and product And is, their audience. And, and their know, audience, yeah. and they've nailed that specific, like, pasta area of what they're doing so i think it's really about honing in on one of those things like you just said whatever that savory sweet i mean those drink same as the guys at worksmith they did a bunch of community talks last year and now their whole focus is just on cocktails batched cocktails getting it into restaurants so i think anyone hospital or hospital adjacent has just had to hone in their craft or skill or offering what a tough time and is is this because of covid or is it uh, is the natural progression of economics or what? I think it's a multitude of things. I think it's COVID definitely had an impact. I think everybody had time to, and this is for the cohort of employees, I think everybody had time to sit down, reflect and figure out their work-life balance and what they really wanted. And that had a knock-on effect, which we're seeing now. We don't really have those hospitality professionals anymore. The turnover of staff is a lot more and holding on to your staff is a lot more difficult. Big companies like Lucas Restaurants and groups like that, they have the money to offer big salary packages, which is also bridging the gap for the little guys and little restaurants because we just can't compete with those kinds of salary offerings. No. So that's another thing, I think. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like we need to flip the script and almost get back into schools and universities and really get them to focus or highlight that there is sustainable career growth plans in hospitality and... People think of hospitality as either a waiter, a bartender, or a chef, but there's marketing, there's HR, there's uh, res reservations, there's so many different elements to hospitality, mm. and they're never spoken about, and those positions are almost glorified within businesses, and you never hear about them, but I think if we just reframe how we're talking about hospitality, and then we have to start again, we have to go with the young people, because I think the millennials and the generation above that have just tapped out. <coughs> Yeah, well, I think it's interesting to touch on that marketing um, aspect, and I think that's where you can really hone in on or tap into the young younger generation because they've got such great ideas for getting ideas for getting things across um, to their audience. And I just had a really great chat with a chef the other day about the PR company they use, and he he just said how amazing they are because they really care about oh, every right. restaurant that they re that they represent, and they hadn't. This is a PR company I work with quite a lot and they quite often get me to talk to their chefs. Mm -hmm. And I knew they were great, 
but I hadn't quite realised the extent that they sit down with the chef and they don't tell him what to do, but because they've got their finger on the pulse, they can kind of stare him so that he... And he said, I didn't even realise... I thought it was all my own ideas, yeah. and then I was gently steered in the right direction. Totally. And I was like, oh, I just thought they were you know, putting things on Instagram, but they, a marketing company now has so much well, influence. It, 100%. It almost is the only way to be successful is to have... But then how do you afford that? That is, again, the million-dollar question because yeah. it's so in, not so inaccessible, but when you're up against it with labour costs or food costs, there's just no budget for that kind of stuff. Um, but I agree, there is so much benefit in marketing and PR. And if there's a way to engage a younger person, like you just said, fresh out of uni or is studying marketing at uni is a really good one. We've worked with a few kids who are 18, 19, have really good ideas studying. I don't want to say are less expensive than obviously these established PR and marketing companies, but they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's little nuance or little ways of doing it. Um, that can really benefit the business. It's just about really researching and finding it. Mm. Um, Or calling these PR companies for like a screening call. I know most of them do that kind of stuff because they are focused around community and hospitality and genuinely believe in getting the best business for your business. So yeah, I think engaging in those are really, really important. So tell me a bit, so what's happening for you? So you're selling the original Oko. Yeah, so Oko Restaurant is about to be sold, which is quite exciting. Um, sad as well, yeah. really upsetting. I feel like I'm at the other end of it now, okay. the last six weeks, seven weeks. And prior to announcing the closure, it was a really tough time for mum and I, yeah. um, mums who I do the businesses with. But we're coming out the other end of it now, and I think we've definitely made the right decision. Mm. Um, we funded it completely ourselves, so... There was a point where those funds run out and you have to measure uh, the cost of what it is going to look like in five years if you keep going and how much debt you can get yourself into. It's like debt is good sometimes in business, but there's a definite fine line with that stuff. Um, So we're concentrating on the cafe now. We still are doing the catering side of things, which has been really great. We just did Midsummer's Award Ceremony and we're doing a lot of community-based catering, which is really exciting. Yeah. We're looking for another site where we can kind of put the restaurant back in and or another cafe. We, how long have you been here? It'll be, it's over a year and a half now wow. that we've been here. We opened this six months after the restaurant. Oh, okay. okay. Which wasn't over, in hindsight, was an oversight now. Um, but this just being a part of Rose Street Artist Market is a guaranteed foot traffic. They have three to 4,000 people a day going to that market yeah. and we're the only food and drink offering in the space. So those two days are our money makers and our breadwinners so it's really fun being a part of that community yeah um and then yeah my other business minds on plus that's kind of taken off in the background as well so focusing a little bit on that yeah and so i mean i guess i mean i i did start talking to you when i went and spoke to your mum and kim for the podcast but then i've really caught up with you over those mental health and hospitality um evenings and so on I just think are so important and such great conversations and just the turnout to those really underlines that. Totally. So there's a few things going on in my mind. Um, you know, number one, you know, how you got into hospitality and then how you got into that mental health um, area as well. Yeah. So I know you got into hospo quite young because your family yeah. was 
Correct. Hospitality family. So we were a hospitality family, that's right. I remember mum managed a cafe in Preston and I was at eight years old I was wiping tables and taking orders. Started really getting into it when I did work experience when I was 15 at a restaurant in Mill Park and they ended up hiring me uh, part-time as a waiter. Um, then I decided I wanted to be a chef so I tried to do that for a couple of years and then fastly realised that wasn't... I didn't feel enough support. I was still figuring myself out as a queer person of colour and where that, where I sit in the world and in society and within a workplace that was predominantly white and predominantly straight and that was all challenging. So I decided the safest place for me was to be interacting with customers and guests and mostly the team front of house was female based. So I felt way more comfortable around that kind of energy. Um, and then I got a job at Chin Chin, opened Chin Chin Sydney, came back to Melbourne for a couple of months and then moved over to London. In London, I worked as head of people for a restaurant group called Brother Marcus. So I did HR and marketing for them. Um, And then in my six month, sorry, my one year review, um, my director told me that I needed to man up and have more of a masculine approach when dealing with situations, which it had just been my final straw with the struggle of so many cultural and societal issues that are so prevalent, but had been intertwined into the hospitality culture and I just was fed up. So that was the point where I'd met Tobiana who was running a cause called Callie's Cause Foundation. Callie's Cause, Callie was a chef in London who died by suicide. Um, Wasn't a direct affiliation with hospitality. They were harassed in their workplace, um, which had a knock on effect and then there was a multitude of reasons, but Kelly took their own life um, in 2018. Kelly's course came to fruition and supplies hospitality workers with mental health first aid. Um, so that was kind of when I got into it and was, I was uh, working in the restaurants. She was a head chef at the restaurant, Tobiana, who created the foundation. And we got talking and I'd never felt so inspired by someone who was looking at hospitality from a different angle or just simply calling out the stuff that was happening. They were teaching me how what reporting sexual harassment was or what even sexual harassment was because I had had chefs in the past just slap me on the bum or touch me inappropriately on the back, which is so normalised in this industry and people wouldn't even understand that as a form of harassment or little microaggressions about race or if there was a black table, a manager being, oh, why don't you go serve that table? Just little underlining things that were happening. Um, racism, uh, sexual, sorry, sexuality slurs, like being called, I'm not even going to say those names, but it was a bunch of stuff. Tobiana was really coming at it from a mental health focus. I got obsessed with what she was doing and have now been working with her for nearly five years. Mm. We've recently launched in Australia and, and now that's a part of Minds on Plus, which launched last year with my business partner, Rashani, who... We sat down and just tried to figure out, okay, what is the hospitality industry really asking for? Where are the issues and how can we fit in? We understand that we're not experts in all the fields, so we decided to partner with people who had created content and workshops based off their own lived experience. Um, And that's where Minds on Plus came from and kind of where we are now. Yeah. So how does that operate? Do um, do people come to you? Do you go to them? It's a bit of both. People absolutely reach out and how the whole system works is a company, or ideally how it should work, is a company reaches out, we administer, a, we do an initial call with them and then we administer a survey to their staff 
Um, the survey is based around the five subjects that we do workshops for. So disability awareness, sexual violence training, mental health, um, anti-racism training and queer allyship training. And the questions are based around that. We get those results and then we present the owners with a report where we think they're critical in okay and then in the green so it's a traffic light system mm -hmm. um, based off that then we make a bespoke workshop with our facilitators that best suit the business that we're working with and then we facilitate that workshop mm -hmm. um, and then the other aspect is we have BIPOC caterers so black indigenous people of color catering companies that we try and link up for those workshops so it becomes like a whole lunch and learn so you do a three-hour workshop about anti-racism in the workplace and then you're having food that has been created by a person of color or a black person or an indigenous first nations person um, and we've just tried to make that connection yeah and i really like the idea of the mental health first aid and I feel like everyone should do a course like that I mean I know at school every year we do first aid it's but knowing how to be a first responder with a mental health crisis in this day and age must be like a really pressing need oh 100% and it's the, the thing that's so funny is most people are doing it already they don't have they probably have the first initial steps of um, mental health first aid, the same as physical first aid. You're seeing someone on the ground shaking, you're going to know to like go approach them, maybe lay them on their side. There's a few things that we just know um, from just interaction with other humans. But mental health first aid is so important and like you said, we should all have done a course in it. Mm. It essentially sets you up with a toolkit with how to, have, how to have difficult conversations and then a roadmap of getting that person to appropriate professional help. Mm. It's the same way as physical first aid. No one's trained to be a doctor in a four hour course. The same way you're not designed or you're not taught to be a therapist. It's just about that initial um, conversation when you notice signs and symptoms of someone that is experiencing poor mental health mm. and especially in a workplace you see people dip in and out of that and it's so common for people to experience poor mental health without having a mental illness and I think once we start to understand that and normalize that and then be able to have honest open conversations in a workplace that's the way forward and it's the only way to create mentally healthy work environments. Mm. Because I know people would say that there's many industries that would be under pressure and all of those things. I really feel, you know, um, and from hearing people speak on those host hospitality nights, you're really on show with, in hospitality and there's so many different pressures. There's hungry people. Totally. Hangry people. Hangry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, drunk people, um, you know, people with opinions on food because everyone thinks they know all about it. Yeah. Um, and you are on show and there's time limits and all of those things. I do feel like it is a really... Um, a, you know, a particularly pressurised industry that can sure. lend, like, to lead to those kinds of highs and lows, as you say, in mental health. Um, I know when I spoke to Alan Tompkins about the Burnt Chef project, <clears throat> we are talking about the importance of perhaps getting some of these ideas, like the um, mental health first aid, into culinary schools or hospitality schools. Is that something that's happening or it's look the conversations are definitely happening we're engaged with quite a few at the moment um the australian technical institute of chefs um, william anglis like the conversation is definitely happening and it's almost at a point where it's like we're not going to be able to trying to convince a restaurant owner that this is important is quite quite hard um especially when they're really disconnected from the business they're not in service every day they're not understanding the pressures or the stress that comes with just 
baseline hospitality work. Mm. So yeah, I think it's really important for us to put a focus as well onto getting it into schools, whether that's high school, primary school, whether that's, there's a youth um, program for mental health first aid. So the Mental Health First Aid Australia has really scaled it to be able to be accessible and applicable to all age groups. And yeah, I really think there's a massive benefit from having it from the get go. It's almost like an industry standard. Yeah. And so when you set up OCO, and, I, and, and here as well, it's, a, it's an inclusive restaurant with the traffic light system. Correct. So, um, so I guess, I mean, how, how has that gone? Is Look, it... <laughs> it's been a challenge for sure, and Oko Restaurant probably was more challenging than the cafe has been in its approach to getting the mental health support be something that people feel comfortable to go and use. The traffic light system... As much as you can ask people to get involved and to think about how they're feeling when they're showing up for work every day, it is quite difficult. I will be really transparent. People, I don't think, are used to that kind of support or that level of support. So they almost are intimidated, overwhelmed just by saying, I'm feeling good or I'm feeling not so good today. You kind of have to pull it out of people in a different way eventually. And whether that's picking herbs and you're having a conversation or everyone's prepping in the kitchen and that's where you start to have a conversation, I think leading with vulnerability has been a really powerful point and I think once I started talking about my mental health struggles whether that's now 10 years ago 15 years ago that's been really powerful and then normalizing the specific points of the industry that are leading to poor mental health for example knockoffs were never allowed at Oko restaurant not because I wanted to be an asshole or because I thought people I, it was a cost thing it was generally because I've worked in businesses before where it's almost like a reward at the end of your shift and then you're almost punished for rocking up to work the next day hungover or a bit slower in the morning and it's like you gave me all of this alcohol last night at 2am I'm starting at 8am the next day and you haven't once thought about the implications that's going to have on how I'm showing up to work the next day mm. so I think having that in, intention behind it and then explaining the intention had, that's the only way to have really get it stuck into people's minds yeah, I spoke, I mean, a couple of years ago, I spoke to someone at the Prince um, dining room, and I know they were trying to implement some of those wellbeing um, things as well, where they didn't have knockoffs, they'd have knockoff smoothies and things, yeah. and they'd do yoga together, and I just think it's really great when um, workplaces are being more intentional about that, because it's a, it's a culture, I mean, it's a, it's a habit that people get into, totally. to have alcohol as a reward, or as a means of winding down, whereas you say, I mean, yeah there's different ways of approaching it totally. it's the same like in australia and well, in new zealand or whatever every time we catch up with people it's like catching up over a drink instead of perhaps catching up for a walk or a you know it's just the culture does need to change because totally. there's clearly problems with that for sure and look it's hard because a doctor doesn't finish work at 11 p.m. Uh, I mean, they might if they're on night shift, but yeah. a receptionist doesn't finish work at five o'clock and then is handed a glass of wine or a beer. And <laughs> do you know what? I understand that we work until late at night, but there has to be rituals or things that people implement into their day that helps them wind down that isn't based around alcohol. Yes. It's especially hard because of our direct access to it mm. and the, how much has been normalised as kind of a perk of the job. Mm. I've seen job ads still today where knockoffs are in the perk section of a job ad and I just think it until people really clue on to that and understand that those one percent things all add up and contribute to a person's well-being and mental health the shift in the culture is never going to change 
Yeah. So which is why I feel so passionately about all this stuff and why I keep speaking out about it. I think it kind of potentially was detriment a detriment to me in Oko restaurant, as in I have a friend who's quite up in a really big restaurant group here in Melbourne and said to me that I made the restaurant too political and it overwhelmed people because they were confused about what exactly I was offering, which was a really cool and uh, in trying to understand that. It also made me understand where the general population is with this kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's all about figuring out ways of constantly speaking out about it and having these conversations and engaging more and more people and things like that. And so it feels like you're sort of sitting with a little bit of um, uncertainty at the moment about where to next. How do you manage that space of uncertainty? Uh, yeah. Are you optimistic? Are you... Really optimistic. I think we had a really good product and I know the people who came to Oko had a really good time and that was always the case. I've... Yeah, I don't know. I'm, not, I'm optimistic. I just don't know what direction it's going to go in. I don't know if Minds on Plus is going to be the goal for moving forward and it turns into an educational-based situation for me or if we open more restaurants or more cafes. I honestly am not sure at the moment. I think we're just trying to grieve the loss of Oko Restaurant Absolutely. and, again, find our love of what we do and why we're doing it and yeah. really understand and focus on what our offering is and what we can bring to the community. And then, like we spoke about before, Perfecting that and then reimagining what Oko looks like. Yeah. So you're doing a little bit of cooking now. I am, yes. Do you get joy from creating food? I do. I love cooking and I've always wanted to be a chef. It's been a really big dream of mine. I think I didn't have much to do with my dad and he was a chef. And so I think growing up that was always me trying to reach for connection with him. And I think... Also, this is going a little off traffic, but growing up in Watsonia and Greensboro, predominantly white space, being a person of colour, having an Italian mum, having an African dad, I've always found food a really cool way to explore all of that and then engage the whiter parts of my life and community with that kind of stuff. I remember at school, mum was always, our lunches were always, people would flock in from everywhere because they wanted a bite of my sandwich mum had made or something I'd cooked from the night before or any party or dinner we would have, like everyone at school would be talking about it. So I think I've had a love for food always and that what that can do to people and bringing people together. And every restaurant I've worked at, that's been my biggest joy is watching that experience. Mm. So it's been really fun to be on the other side of it now and have first-hand creation into it. It's, it's really stressful. I've worked in kitchens before, but not led a kitchen before. So that's been a challenge and yeah. it's been fun and the creation part's been fun. So yeah, I don't know where it's going to end. Have, have you learned some things about yourself you didn't perhaps know before? Definitely learned a... some things about myself, for yeah. sure. Um, yeah, I think I've learned my stress... I don't know, service front of house is just very different. Yeah. Breakfast service is very different to restaurant service. Yeah. People want their food in 10 minutes. They're hungover on a Sunday or Saturday morning. Like, it's yeah. just a different type of service. So it's really being about understanding that. Yeah, and what have you been cooking? We've been doing a lot of fun stuff. I've recently changed the menu. Again, we have tried to have a Mediterranean overview of the menu. It's a little bit challenging with breakfast because people want eggs and bacon um, or people want pancakes and those kinds of things. 
So we have like a fig honey and ricotta French toast. So that's with the whipped ricotta and then we make a really nice orange syrup. Put that on a French toast. We have a passionetti classic, which mum and I have been making our whole lives. It's called a polenta stack. So it's like stacks of truffle and leek polenta. Oh, and then it's got a fried that. egg with parmesan cheese on top. Uh, mum's meatball sub hasn't left the menu because uh, everybody's obsessed with that and everybody's obsessed with meatball subs in Melbourne at the moment. <laughs> really weird. <laughs> um, we do a lot of vegan and gluten-free stuff. So most of our menu is gluten-free. I've been making um, vegan corn fritters at the moment, which are also gluten-free and they've been really popular. Um, and then recently on the menu, we just added red velvet pancakes with a white chocolate cream cheese, and that's also been really popular. Amazing. So, so you open the days of the market? So we open Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays yep. at the moment. There's a hotel being built next door. Yes. It's about to open in the next couple of weeks. Mm. They've projected the March the 1st, so we'll see if that happens. We're just kind of waiting to leverage on that, and then we'll open from Wednesday to Sunday from that point. And it's got the really interesting name of Standard. Yes, I know. It's it really, yeah. Some talks around there. But I had a chat to the chef that's been overseeing the Oh, cool, the, the production. Media, yeah. yeah, great. Yeah, it looks fascinating. It's, there's names like Leonardo DiCaprio and so on involved. That's so always totally. a bit intriguing. Yeah, I heard it's Snoop Dogg and Leonardo DiCaprio's company yeah. that's built these hotels. Yeah, so right. That's really cool. We'll see if they make it down. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> hello. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, nice. Well, look, I think it sounds, um, it's really great talking to someone who has that real heart for the industry and for the people in it. And, um, and it sounds like you are really optimistic and have some really great ideas. So I hope that it just keeps on Thank moving you. forward. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much. I hope so too. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with a Chef with Sebastian Pazanetti at Oco Rooftop and Cafe. If you liked what you heard, you can check out all the goodness on Instagram at Oko Rooftop and Cafe, that's O-K-O. Or you can also go to at Seb Pass, S-E-B-P-A-S, and Minds on Plus, M-I-N-D-S-E-N-P-L-A-C-E. If you'd like to hear more stories from other chefs, I'm on Instagram at Conversation with a Chef. You can read the chat and become a subscriber at www.conversationwithchef.com. I'd love it if you told a friend about my chats. And of course, you can follow me, rate me, give me a tick of approval on Apple and Spotify podcasts and also Audible and Amazon podcasts. Once again, thanks so much for listening. Have a great day and bon appétit.